Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Happy whatever month it is when you watch this. I June. feel like we should this keep doing still that. June. Still June, midsummer. How awesome to be a part of summer. Um, y'all, th- these sections, and we hope your summer's going good. Yes. And oh, give, happy summer, yeah. everyone. And really and give yourself a lot of grace in <laughs> scripture reading and come follow me during summer. It really just. And then remember all the you people know? who are just starting winter, you guys just oh, get that's cozy. True. Everybody, yeah. you just go ahead and get as cozy as you can. Hot chocolate, blankets, but we're tired of the cold. So we're super looking forward to a little bit of warmth we over here. We are in summer up yeah, here. We're in summer. Um, Hopefully you took time this past week to think about your errand from the Lord and your stewardship, your... Um, where you could be doing some good right now because we are going to dive in and look at that. But it's interesting because we're going to jump right into this part of what's happening. And we're actually going to look at kind of what we were talking about last time, which is sometimes we accidentally get distracted by the people instead of the greater cause. And remember how that just happened at the beginning of last week's lesson? And then it's going to happen again at the beginning of this week's lesson because everyone wants to start calling out Joseph on his ability to actually do his errand in the kingdom. Yeah. So this is right where they first decide they want to publish the book of commandments for the very first time. What's later going to be named the doctrine and covenants. So they pull together a conference to decide, okay, how many of these are we going to print together? Before this, what people would do is there would just be a box in the John Johnson house of all the revelations received. And then there was a box of paper and a pen, a quill. And if you wanted a copy of one, you would go and you would just copy. You would pull one out and copy it over and you could take it with you home. You could take it on a mission. Yeah, when they went on missions, they would write a whole bunch and they would just carry them in their pocket. We're going to talk about that in one lesson. I know we are because we love the thought of that. Um, but they would have to handwrite everything. Yeah. So they're like, we need to print these. And so they gather together to decide um, how many copies should we do? What's the logistics of this? And actually, 67 is kind of about that. 68 is missionaries going back to Missouri. Um, 69 and 70, you're kind of getting the printing of the. So everything is kind of circled around everybody's different jobs in the printing of the first book of commandments or doctrine and covenants. Um, P.S. If you're ever on doctrine and covenants jeopardy, um, (laughs) section one would have been received right before section 67, right before that conference. Remember the preface to the whole book. Cause like, we're going to print it now. So there needs to be a preface. And the Lord's like, I actually have one. So um, that is written. And then what happens at the conference um, is after section one is written and people are looking at the other revelations, they start to say, and you see that in the words here in 67, five, um, he was like, the people have a problem with Joseph's language, it says, and his imperfections and his limitations. And what some of the people were saying in the conference is these revelations don't sound very divine. They're they're too um, Joseph-y. They should be a little bit more, you know, rich they should be more eloquent they should whatever people had in mind 
what revelations um, should be. And, and so that is kind of what the argument is that the Lord's addressing right there when he says. And the fun part, let's just talk about this right now, because if you've never seen Joseph's writing, you a little bit want to pause when you're reading section 67 and just go look at some. We put some right here in the <laughs> journal. So if you have a journal top right hand corner, you can actually kind of look how Joseph wrote, how he spelled, how he phrased things. But if you don't have one of these journals, you'll be able to just look up on Joseph Smith papers. You can kind of go and, and look and what you'll discover is Joseph was not very educated in the English language and the writing or the spelling or the grammar of the English language. So rightly so, they have like a, a legitimate concern, you know, they're just like, oh, he seems limited in his ability to like, you know, write and, and dictate and things like that. Joseph even says that we put a little quote from Joseph right there. He says, oh, there is total darkness of pen, paper, and ink and a crooked, broken, scattered, and imperfect language. He's like, it is an, an awful responsibility to feel what I'm feeling and try and put it into English words. Mm. Like a pen and language are just not sufficient. And he's like, I, he always lamented over that. So that is what's going on. And the Lord just kind of points out. And it's, a, and it's example of one of the things that gets in the way when we each are trying to do our own stewardships and our own errands. This was Joseph's particular one to receive the revelations that would guide the kingdom as a whole, right? And what the Lord teaches them is right there in that verse five, tells him, he says, your eyes have been upon my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., um, which seems to be the problem. Sometimes that's the solution. But in this case, he was like, you have been looking and pointing well, and I out think he his tells imperfections. Why. Yeah, yeah, because right. it's what you're looking for. In Instead of looking for direction from Joseph Smith, you've actually now gone and are looking for his limitations with his language and his life and his imperfections. And if you're going to start doing that with Joseph, there's going to be a, a problem. Yeah. And the bigger problem is your eyes are on him and they are not on me. Of course, I've told you again and again, yes, he has imperfections. Yes, he has sins. Yes, like all those things are true, but you're becoming so focused on everything that that particular person is doing wrong. You don't have any time to connect this way and to, and to get instruction and direction in just your own contribution to, to the kingdom. And so the Lord actually does something really cute here. He just throws out a challenge then to everybody. And he just says to everyone in that 67, nine, he says, uh, oh, not nine, um, just six through when he's going to. Um, I want you to take um, the least revelation in the whole pile. The one that you think is just the bottom of the stack uh, in its eloquence and whateverness. And I want you to try and rewrite one better. And if you can rewrite one better, then you can have the job of being the revelation person. So William McClellan, who we met last time, was the self-appointed smartest person in the room. <laughs> and he tries to rewrite it and it is just a mess. And he's the one who comes and he says, that was a, a, a total failure. The thing being, they tried to do it on their own, not recognizing the help Joseph was getting, right? So that is the challenge. But he says this as part of that challenge. Okay, if you can't do it, then I want you to testify in verse 9 that these revelations do come from me. That they came, they are from above. And that through them, 
um, you have come to see my hand and know that I am. So he's like, so if you can't do it, I want you to pause right here before you print it and have and each of you write your own testimony that these revelations are from heaven. They are a godsend and that you can you have learned more about who I am and and have seen my hand um, through them. And we just think it's a fun spot as just like a little bonus in here to stop and look back over the sections that we've studied so far this year. We're about halfway through the year just to look and say like, wait, which lines, which sections have done that for you in particular? Mm -hmm. Which ones could you say like, oh, actually in reading this this year, I, I, I came to know God more. I, I know that these revelations came from above because of this section right here and what I read and the answer was for me. So just a cool time to like pause and halfway through the year mm -hmm. to think, what, where, where have I, so yeah, where have I seen God? Right. In all of this, right? So that's problem number one that he seems, that seems to be addressed in these sections is you're looking at other people's imperfections and the way they are doing things wrong instead of looking to me. And sometimes you'll, you'll look at other people and think they're doing it wrong. You've probably felt that like in your family or I'm sure you've probably felt it in your ward. Why did they call that person? Or why is she doing it like this? She, we'd be reaching more people if they did it like this. You know, we tend to act, accidentally get caught up in the distraction of the person instead of the kingdom cause that God has in mind. And, and, the, and there's a difference between you just sitting and like looking at what everybody else is, is doing wrong and being a part of a council to come up with like, oh, let's discuss together what's the right way to approach yeah, this, yeah. right? There's a difference between those. And sometimes you see it in someone else, right? That we, I'm sure we've all experienced that. I think sometimes it happens to us too, where we will look at our own selves and say, you are not qualified for this. You are not the right person for this job. They should have called someone else to do this. And it's interesting how Satan can so quickly distract God's purpose by just making us have doubt and question and have fears. And I love how this kind of talks about that, where he, he wants to say to them at the beginning, um, Oh, ye elders of my church who have assembled yourselves together in verse one, whose prayers I have heard, whose hearts I know, whose desires have come up before me. And I love that every time I read that, I'm like, that's me. Um, I My heart has desires. I'm praying over the things that I want to turn out and, and how I think they should go. And I love that he says this, you endeavored to believe that you would receive the blessing which was offered to you. And I love that he's like, you like, you tried, like yeah. you came into it, you endeavored to believe that could happen. But what happened is instead fears got in your hearts. And this is the reason why everything is coming to a standstill right now is because those fears. And I love as you think about that, not just with Joseph, and, and I love that we got to see his story, but in our own life. And so this is where we want you to start making that transition right now. As you prayed last week and you thought about what is my errand? What is um, the place where I'm trying to do good right now? What, what's my ministry or my mission or my stewardship is what we're going to call it in a little bit. Um, you will have, your heart will be filled with desire for that thing. And it's something that you've prayed about. 
But I love also that the Lord teaches us, you will also have fear. Mm -hmm. There are going to be times when you look at that thing and you're like, this is this, this can't happen. And you can list all the reasons why it's not going to happen. You can sit down and say, because then this happened and then this, and then this person did this. And now we're up against this. And you can easily list everything that's not going to go right. We know from the story of this printing of the book of commandments, just people having fears about the writing is not going to be the only thing that comes up against this endeavor from the Lord, right? Remember the two girls who are going to hide in the corn with all the pages under their skirts that sometimes when we take on an errand, there's going to be an enemy to that great work. And we have to go into it knowing that, but I love this right at the very end of 13 and 14. And maybe we can just hit this as we jump into your stewardship. This process of four things that I think are so important, and you almost want to write them out right underneath your errand or your stewardship, whatever it is. First, you're going to continue in patience. Um, it talks about until you are perfected. Remember that word perfected also means complete. So you're going to have to continue in patience until this is complete. That's true. It's true of the book of commandments. It's also true of whatever your stewardship is that you're working on. The second thing he says is let not your minds turn back. We've talked about this a lot since conference that thought about um, when Moses brought the people out of Egypt and they started getting into what was their endeavor, which was to find the promised land. And there does come a time when we want to become lax and lazy, you've talked about this where we're like, you know what? It was actually easier to be slaves in Egypt because we know what that felt like. That was more comfortable for us. Um, and I love that he's like, don't let your mind turn back. You're, you're going to want to, it's human nature to go back to what was easier than to continue forward with the unknown. Um, the third thing he reminds us is it's going to take place in his own due time. That is so hard, right? We want to set a date. This has to be done by whatever. This is, yeah. I think it'll be best if it happens like this. We have to remember who's in charge. It, it's his errand, everyone. We're just on it. Um, and he knows the timing for it. And then I love this line. Might be one of my favorite parts of this whole lesson this week. He says this, in my own due time, you will see and know that which was conferred upon you, Right? You're going to see that thing come to fruition in my own due time. You might not see the whole of it now. You might get distracted. You might want to turn back. You might think it's taking too long, but there is going to come a moment where it's going to be complete. And then you will look back at everything you overcame to get here, but you will know in that moment, I think two things. First, that I am God. And second, that your capacity can be increased to meet the challenge. And I love the thought of that as we enter into what is your stewardship and that thought that they were going to have to continue in patience, Joseph was, and all those people doing that book of commandments, they could not turn back from that. They had to go forward, that it was going to take time, right? There was going to be the disaster of the printing press. There was going to be the hiding in the cornfields. There was going to be William McClellan trying to write his own Whatever, all of those things are going to be part of the story of that book of commandments. But at the end, in my own due time, you are going to see what I conferred upon Joseph. 
and you're gonna say oh yeah this actually was good this was good yeah um yesterday jones uh, um came home from school and he was a little bit sick and so he hopped on the early bus to come home from school instead of his normal one and the teachers kind of freaked out because no one knew where he was and it really embarrassed him and so last night he was like i'm not ever going back to school again like i don't want to go back like people are going to get mad at me and i he oh it started the conversation last night started with i wish i could turn back time you know and and we talked about that you know all together and stuff like that first i was like jones that's actually super smart that you jumped on an earlier bus like a lot of people don't know how to like look at bus schedules and stuff like that you know so way to go like way to like way to be resourceful and like hop on it and stuff like that but what's interesting is it's field day today for him right and he's gonna have so many really fun experiences and stuff but he was afraid people were going to be mad he was upset about the mistake that he had made and there's this other teacher, he says, who I know is going to be super rude, you know? And, and it's just like, oh, all of those things were going to keep him from going and having this experience today. And when he says in here, you did not receive it. Um, remember, receive is the opposite of ask, seek, and knock, right? So the reason that you won't receive is because fear or checking out other people's mistakes or your own mistakes are going to cause you to like stop like quit moving forward. You're gonna stop asking, you're gonna stop seeking, and you're gonna stop knocking. And so it's awesome for the Lord to just like, let's let's just like address them. Like you will have fears and there will be mistakes, but please continue in patience through this. Mm -hmm. So because that is what it's gonna require. And I, we really love in verse 10 where he focuses in on this. He's like, you can look at your own doubts, mistakes, and fears, or you can set your heart and mind on your privilege and your promise. Now, they had a very particular privilege and promise that was given to them. You can read it in 10. It's so beautiful. But that is also true of every one of us. God has privileges for us and he has promises for us. And he's like, in all of the doubting and fearing and mistake finding, you forgot to focus your heart on what your privilege and your promise is and how to claim what those privileges and promises are. And so it's awesome for him to bring us back to, you know, to what those things actually are, to set our eyes on, on those. Um, you love as you go through 68. We kind of talked about this. This is going to be um, Orson Hyde, Luke Johnson, Lyman Johnson, William McClellan. They're all asking the Lord for his um, will in their lives, right? What's my errand right now? What do you want me to do? And he's going to go through and he's going to line out this is what you're going to do, and this is what you're going to do. And for the, the people in Zion also, because they're headed on a mission there. And so they're like, and do you have anything particular to tell the people? Remember, the Colesville Saints live out mm -hmm. there now. It's like, we're headed out. So do you have a message for them, too, about what should they be doing in Wilderness yes. Zion right now also? And then in 69, you have Oliver. Also, he's going to get more details on his errand from the Lord. Right? This is the printing this is what's going to happen. You're going to continue writing. You're going to make a history. Um, all of these are going to happen. And then John he Ritter, really Yeah, just Oliver has like the job of taking, they've collected all the revelations. Now they've collected a whole bunch of money. Oliver's got the original copies and all the fundraising money in his purse <laughs> or man purse. And he is supposed to go out to Missouri for the, for the printing of it. That's going to be his job. And John Whitmer gets called to like, 
hey, you forgot you're the historian, number one. And number two, <laughs> will you go with Oliver Cowdery on the trip? Because he kind of has a whole bunch of money with him, and we want to protect that as they go. And then so, you like, love those are their jobs. when it talks about, this is what you're going to do, preaching, expounding, writing, copying, selecting, obtaining all the things which shall be, and then I love this line, for the good of the church and for the rising generation. And you love that the Lord is not just looking at this little moment in time, but he's like, this is going to be good for you right now, but also good for the rising generation that's coming up. And we're going to try and balance both of those things as we're doing this work, as, it, as everyone gets their errand and their assignment. And like we keep saying, not just when the miracles happen, but the struggle and the mess and how people manage that along the ways. Both of those are going to be really good for the rising generation. Mm -hmm. I, I went to a, um, a training of a bunch of um, college-age kids who are going to be counselors for kids on these um, HEFY trips. And one of the nights there, they all kind of went around and started talking about their insecurities of being this particular role for the mm. kids to be mentors to them. And like, they're like, I'm setting myself up as a mentor, but can I just tell you, mm. these are the insecurities yeah. that I have. And I sat and I listened to them talk about it, but I also heard them talk about how they look to God and how they lean upon his strength and his grace with their insecurities. And as a dad who's sending a kid on one of those trips, mm. I was like, you guys, I actually am super excited, number one, for Jack, for you to show Jack the miracles in God's hand and everything. But I also love that he is going to like learn from people who have insecurities and doubts and fears, but continue to move forward in faith, relying on him. Like yeah. that is, both of those lessons are really good for the rising generation. Yeah, that's so good. Um, so then we get to 70. And we're going to start in 70 verse 9, where um, it just says this, Behold, this is what the Lord requires of every man in his stewardship. So he's listed all these. You're going to go on a mission. You're going to gather things. You're going to be writing this. You're going to be doing this. Okay, let's just talk about stewardships in general. He says, this is kind of what is required when you're doing the work of the Lord. Yes. In a situation like this. So we just have a couple things in here. Where we're like, oh, what can you learn generally about my own errand? We talked about that and my own well-doing, right? What are the principles that are going to kind of like um, guide me and help me through that? That first one in verse nine, he says, this is what the Lord requires of every man in his stewardship. Even as I, the Lord, have appointed or shall hereafter appoint unto any man. First of all, that... Um, the Lord asks things of us. He requires these stewardships in order for the, to, the work to happen. It's interesting that it's like he's all powerful and almighty and he just invites mm -hmm. us into it. And he's just like, this is what I'm asking you mm -hmm. to do. I have a job for you to actually fulfill a work to be done. And on the flip side of that same coin, I'm the one appointing you to it. This is a God-given responsibility and and stewardship for you to be um involved in and you love in verse 10 when he's like no one's exempt from this law of stewardship who belongs to the church that as long as you are part of the kingdom you are going to be given an errand that's just part of being in the kingdom and sometimes the errand might look really big with a, a title next to it 
And sometimes the errand might be you waking up every morning and saying, where do you need me today? And, and how can I help today? But part of being in kingdom community is being on the Lord's errand continually. That's just how you live your life. And I love that he'll appoint it. And it could be a three-year appointment and it could be a this afternoon appointment. Yeah. And I love that he works like that. Um, we love when he talks about that in verse 10, that everyone is going to have a stewardship. Everyone. That's kind of what he lets you know. If you're a part of this community, then you have a stewardship of some sort. And we love that this week, maybe you've taken time to think about what is mine right now, like in this season and for this time. Um, sometimes you might look and think, well, I have a stewardship that is five years. You have a stewardship right now that is at the Institute, right? That's part of your stewardship. That is ongoing. It's not going to end tomorrow. Um, that's, that's an ongoing stewardship. But sometimes you might just have a stewardship for a minute that you're like, oh, I just feel really called um, to, to this, lean into this for today. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it might be. And it doesn't need a calling or a, um, you know, a, a role necessarily as much as it just needs a heart that is willing. So I love that. In 11 and 12, he mentions that in 11, there are temporal ones in 12, there are spiritual ones. And it's neat that he's just like, sometimes they will have more of this nature and sometimes they'll have some of that nature. We brought up Mary and Martha last time, and it, this this always reminds me of um, that story that we heard uh, in the MTC. Mm. Um, you remember where um, Sister Rasban was looking at that painting of Mary and Martha, and they were talking about the lesson of don't be cumbered about with all of the things, and you should sit at the feet of Jesus and stuff like that. And she kind of held back for a minute, and her comment was, sometimes I like to be Martha so that other people can be merry. And that there is need for these temporal stewardships, like the logistics and things that have to happen. Mm. And there are, there's basically there are just stewardships of every kind. Yes, and you love that part. And then, none of them are more valuable than another. Yes. But they do have a cultural value system. <laughs> like we have somehow applied a cultural value system where it's just like, oh, you know, there are some specific stewardships or callings where you're just like, oh, that one's more important than this one or that one's, you know, uh, I really, really want that one. So culturally there are, but the Lord's like, no, 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 no. There's, there's stewardships of every kind and all of them are needed. Yeah, so good. And we see that not just here, but even when we talk, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, right? And he's like, you, you need every single part. We need every person. In 12, it also mentions this line that says, he who is appointed to administer spiritual things, the same is worthy of his hire. It's such an interesting word. We actually see it in several places in scripture. And so for a second, we just, there's a little square on the right hand side. You're going to see right here with a whole bunch of places in scripture that talks about what does that actually look like or mean to be worthy of the higher? And, and what do we learn about that? And one of my favorite lessons is the Lord actually is the one who will make you worthy of that higher. He's the qualifier. He's the one who is going to increase capacity. And it's so fun to read through these and see um, he, that he says things like this. If you will just thrust in your sickle, I will put sheaves. You'll be laden with sheaves on your back. So you're going to have your part. I'll have my part. That's how you're going to be made 
worthy. Sometimes that being made worthy of that stewardship is going to require keys or authority. He tells you, I will make sure you have what you need to be able to do that. Um, I love when he tells us in one of these verses, you will be abundantly multiplied, right? You will be abundantly made equal to this task, whatever that looks like for you. Um, one of my favorites in there is where he, it, it focuses it on people. And I mm. think that's just a, I mean, that is just a great reminder and a hint. If you are still searching for like, I'm not sure what my errand is or what my well-doing should be. Let me just orient you a little bit and say, oh, it is going to be people-centered. It is going to have to do with the lifting and the blessing and the helping of people in some way. Like that's going to be the end result of it. And so you see stuff like that. Yeah. And I love that on one hand, he's like, okay, here's what your job looks like. This is going to be set before you. You are going to thrust in your sickle, right? You are going to be faithful with what you've been given. And then I love when he's like, and this is my job. I will laden your back with sheaves. I will abundantly multiply you, right? He's like, I will increase capacity. I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to be able to fulfill that stewardship. And I just love the promise of that when you think about being made worthy of your hire. Which is a word we love. That word worthy means fit for a cause. And so people will ask themselves, like, I, I just don't know if I'm fit for this or if I'm the right person for this. And the Lord seems to be teaching here. It's just like, oh, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking whether I'm capable of accomplishing this particular outcome. And Through he was like, you. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 no. Your fitness for the cause is your willingness. Am I, wor am I worthy? The, the better question is, am I willing? And I'm, am I going to engage? Yes then you are fit for this. If you are willing to ask, seek, and knock, then you are worthy for this particular. Yeah, I love that so much. Stewardship. Then um, we get to 15 and he talks about this. Well, actually we were gonna do this in a minute. Let me skip. We're gonna go to um, 16. He talks about, in whatsoever circumstance I, the Lord, shall place you and whithersoever I, the Lord, shall send them. So we love that... Um, it could be anywhere. It could be any place. It could be anything like the errands are everywhere. There's so many of them. And we love that. He's like, nothing will limit me using you for my good. If, if you will allow me to use you for my good. We love that one. And then a promise in 17 that there are many things that you will be able to participate in and do. Um, and maybe we should say better than that, many people that you'll be able to bless and lift and, mm. and watch over. Like there, there is enough work to be done. Do you remember that prayer with, of Jesus and his disciples at the end of Matthew 9, right? When they've gone to, you know, all yes. of these different places and, and Jesus looks over the crowd and just says, oh my goodness, there are, there is so much labor to be done and not enough workers, there's not enough workers. And he says, pray. Yes, that he will send, send forth more, the laborers. Right. Yeah. Um, we love also as you get into, and we're gonna we're just gonna peek into 71 for a second because we love that it is gonna be for a season. He tells us when you wonder how long is my mission, how long is my errand or this ministry gonna be? And in 71, verse two, he tells that it's gonna be for the space of a season. And again, in verse three, he says, this is a mission for a season. 
And we love the thought of that. Um, your errand might just be for a little time. It, it'll just be for this season where he needs you, but he's going to bless you with what you need for that season. So those are just like, uh, you'll explore so much more as you see that, but it's just awesome to think about First, I'm going to discover what is my errand and what is my well-doing. And then you can go to scripture and get some encouragement and get some promises and discover some instruction and some like um, some guidance. And how can I do this really, really well? And, and so and let's think about for a minute, like what that looks like and how you would do it, because you might be looking at yours and thinking, OK, I know what mine is. It was appointed by the Lord. I can tell if it was spiritual or temporal, which one it is. We see what our limit is. Right. Uh, always for me, I'm always reminded of the limit that I bring to the equation and just taking a minute to remember that the Lord is going to make you worthy of that higher, that he will increase your capacity in that moment. Um, the reminder that you could be used anywhere or in anything or in any place. Some of you might have prayed the whole week and been like, I, I don't know if I got one. Like, I don't know what my errand is. And and maybe that helps you to open up and be like, it could be anywhere or any place. It could be with mm -hmm. one person, right? It, it could be anything like that. That there are many places where he can use you. And also the reminder that it might be only for the space of a season. The other thing that I love is when you go into verse 13, because one of the things I have learned about stewardships is we can sit down and look at, okay, this is how I would go about this task. And we can make our own to-do list and we can start thinking it through. But just like Joseph, there are going to be enemies to that end goal. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that cumber us. And I love the promise given in verse 13 where it says, Even more abundantly, which abundance is multiplied unto them through the manifestations of the Spirit. That is one of the things that I have learned is most important in a stewardship situation is inviting the spirit to be part of that errand because then in those moments when the enemy or the distraction or something makes you want to turn back often it is the spirit that is going to clear a path for you to be able to continue moving forward so that reminder to remember to bring the spirit with you and then I love when he talks about this um, this commandment I give unto my servants in verse 15, and I'm going to go into 16 for their benefit while they remain for a manifestation of my blessings upon their heads and for a reward of their diligence and for their security. Um, I love that he, he actually lets us know something's going to be required of us and it is diligence, that diligence will be required. And sometimes we might wonder what that might look like every time I read the word diligence in scripture I am reminded of a story that happened many many years ago that I just want to share with you quickly because it's sometimes it's such a great lesson of figuring out how to work through um, a, a call or a stewardship Caleb our oldest grew up playing soccer his whole life we invested all of our money in soccer in coaches in summer camps in training all of his friends played soccer um, it's what he did every year and in 11th grade, he came to us and said, I don't think I'm going to play soccer anymore. I think I'm going to play lacrosse. And we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't put any money into lacrosse. Also, the lacrosse team here lost every game by 20 points. So if you just were like super interested, but he really wanted to play lacrosse. And 
I don't know if any of you have ever had that happen before with a child choosing a different path of, but we've invested so much in this path and to have them be like, yeah, I think I'm done with that. I'm going to go this direction. And you're a little bit married to this path, you know? So that was a little bit hard to be able to stand back and be like, okay, we have to let him be like moved by the spirit. And what does he need to learn from this situation? And he ended up playing lacrosse and losing every game. And it was fine and we all survived Caleb not being a soccer player and he graduated from high school and life went on and he went to BYU. Well, at the time BYU had an unbelievable lacrosse problem. They probably or pro program. They probably still do. I don't I follow lacrosse, but yeah, at the time do. they were they just like won the national championship. They, and they had just won yeah. the national championship before. And he um called home the week before school and said, I'm going to try out for the BYU lacrosse team. And I was like, oh, and in my mind, I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea, but I, when my kids get like 18 and 19, I try and let them just receive their own like inspiration. And so I was like, okay. So he went to tryouts the first day and he called after the first day and he was like, I, I made it through the cuts. And I was like, okay. And then I, in my mind, I was like, they probably just kept everyone, you know, yeah. day one. <laughs> and then day three, Wednesday, he had made it through the cuts again. And then I can remember saying to Greg, is Caleb good at lacrosse? <laughs> and um, I, I mean, he was fine, but remember his team. And on Friday, he made it down to the final. It was going to be the final cuts at that point. He had made it to the final cuts. And... They were going to announce the next day how many, and they were only going to cut three people off the team. So he had made it to that far down. And as I was thinking about it the night before, I was like, I, I just can't imagine out of all those kids who are on the team, what is qualifying Caleb to be, I mean, I'd seen him play, he was fine, but what's qualifying him to be on the team? Well, the next day, Caleb got called into the coach's office. And the coach said to him, um, Caleb, you're one of the last three people that we're looking at here. And he said to him, I'm going to be honest with you that you don't have the skills of the rest of the team, but I want you to know why you're being considered. And then he started talking about the whole summer. Well, for the whole summer, they had had optional um, practices that you could go to and they were held every single day. Anyone who wanted could come and just throw around with the team before the tryouts. And Caleb hadn't missed one. He had gone to every optional thing. And on Fridays mornings, they would run up to the Y and um, do that every single Friday optional. Anyone who wanted to. And Caleb didn't miss one. In fact, the Friday right before tryouts, we were supposed to go to Bear Lake. And Caleb made us leave late so he could run to the white, which mm. I was like, oh my heck, Caleb, you're not even going to make that team. <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this whole thing for this, you know, whim. And the coach said to Caleb, I am going to put you on the team, not because of your talent, but because of your diligence. And he said to him, I can't teach diligence. I can teach skills, but I can't teach diligence. And you have more diligence than anyone who's ever tried out for the team. Well, that was the fall tryout. Um, in January, they do another tryout again, because that's when the season starts. And Caleb had to go through that whole process. Again, the cuts every single day. And at the end of the 
week, Caleb had made the team again because he had acquired the skill by then because of all that time going in. But I love the lesson of that. Caleb felt called. He felt like his stewardship was to play lacrosse in 11th grade, right? It was crazy to the rest of us. And then he worked at that skill and, and he was magnified and he was his efforts were multiplied and he learned the importance of diligence in that situation. And it was actually not because of his gift, not because of what he wanted, but it was because of his diligence to that stewardship that it came to fruition at the end. And so I think there's something about looking at your stewardship and just thinking, how could I be more diligent here? Because it is gonna be through our diligence as a reward of our diligence that though the manifestation of blessings will be poured over our heads. And I love the thought of that. And, and just the idea of a reward of your diligence. It's not a reward of the outcome. It's not a, a reward based off of the results. Because if we were to base our success off of like the reactions and responses and results of other people, then we'll either be arrogant mm. or we will be depressed. But instead, the Lord's like, the reward comes in correlation to the diligence that was put in like that is that is what it is like the the measure is did i lean into this did i give my my heart my mind to this mm -hmm. you know and, and and am i not giving up on this that is the right question to ask all the time and 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 the and the blessings the rewards may be different than what we think they're going to be yeah. right there's like what if somebody comes to the end of a season and they're like I didn't increase this. This mm -hmm. never happened. That person never changed, whatever the case may be. And it's like, but what if you looked back and said, but did I have the manifestations of the spirit? Like, what if that was the reward it, uh, all along? Is that I, Which you I know, love I, that thought so much because I can remember one time being released from a calling and I felt like I had been released prematurely, which doesn't usually happen to me. Usually I'm like ready to be like, try something new. But in this one, I felt like I had been released prematurely and I actually didn't feel like I was done with what I felt like I was supposed to have done. And I can remember going to the temple on that day and it was kind of what you're talking about. I, th there wasn't really like, I hadn't completed something or I, I didn't see a reward at the end or like I could just check off and been like, yep, I did what I was supposed to do there. I, I didn't, I was like left wanting of, I don't know if I, like, did I do anything mm, while mm -hmm. I was there? And I can remember walking into the temple that day and just feeling this confirmation from the spirit of it, it is enough. Like you did, you played the part you were supposed to play. And in your mind, it might not have looked like it amounted to anything. But in my mind, it was exactly what was needed for those 18 months. Um, one of the places that a lot of, some of you listening may, um, find yourself in is a stewardship of, um, of being parents of children. And it, within these chapters, there is this little window of time. Remember when the, um, the missionaries were asking, do you have anything to say to the people out in Zion? And he says, oh, actually I do. I want to talk to the parents out there for, um, a minute and talk about 
what their stewardship and requirements and responsibility are like. And so bottom left of the paper, we have just this, here's one example of stewardship and some, and, and some uh, what do you say, some specific instruction for that, where he just says, starting in 25, like if, if you're a parent right now, I want you to teach your kids first that they can change. Like, do you love that? It's his very first one. Mm -hmm. He's just like, normally we say faith in Christ. Then we say, I just like, first, make sure everyone knows like you're okay. Like you can have a, a, a do better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can go back. Like, please encourage that always. Teach them to trust in the son of the living God. Teach them they can, they can be endowed with power through covenant relationship with me. Teach them to pray. Teach them to walk uprightly. Teach them uh, to be laborers in, in this really, really good work that you have. And there's probably a lot of parents who are looking at the results and the reactions of their kids. <laughs> and you are either arrogant or depressed <laughs> based off of that. And instead, it's neat to just look at this and see like, oh, this is, I just need to be diligent in this. Mm -hmm. And I just need to keep readjusting and, and trying. And I, uh, um, we just got a... Uh, a note yesterday from one of our kids teachers and it came in the mail and and she just said hey your your daughter's just a really really sweet uh student and i really loved having her in class and i was like oh that's obvious because she's the mom of our family you know the second mom <laughs> you know i was like everybody knew that was going to be true and she's so diligent in her schoolwork and all of that and she said but then she wrote but what i was particularly impressed by is how she noticed a girl who really struggled in the class and took initiative to sit near her and watch over her the entire year. And I um, read that and like, obviously it was so sweet of her to, to send that. But then I actually also thought like, oh, here is a, a payday is what I felt like. I was like, they are understanding what is most important to us. And you love that she was just going about that duty and didn't even tell you about no, it. Or that that was happening have. this whole entire year, but she had just felt called to something. And just the way she does, went about it her, her own quiet way. Right. Sweet way. And that postcard I that, that we got sent, I just taped it on the fridge. And I and, and I and I think it's so important as if our particular role as parents in this situation to just in, in keep encouraging that and saying, you guys this kind of stuff is is what we do. This is the work that we are a part of. And and sometimes we see our, I mean, sometimes, always, we see our own doubts. We see other people doing things wrong. We see our own fears and, and everything. And and it can get us caught up. I, I was serving as a bishop when my oldest got his first temple recommend. And that was cool until I asked him the question, do you have a testimony of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And he was like, what's that? And I was like... <laughs> The sin be upon the head of the parents, you know, as you read in here. And I was like, and, but if I, when I zoom out for a minute, I'm just like, oh, that's so easy to teach him what that is. That's not, that's going to take one second to do that. But I feel a lot more satisfied to see that postcard about kindness mm -hmm. and gentleness, which that oldest has also than, than I am like, oh, that you got everything right. Yes. You know, because, yeah. and the Lord is so encouraging in these, yes, in these sections. Yes, that's your favorite part that you look about all of this. And, and we've talked about what a stewardship is and what it looks like and how you enter into it and how, how the Lord enters into it. But 
Our favorite part is probably this little square right here at the bottom that you find in 68 verse 7 where he says this, Wherefore, be of good cheer and do not fear, for I, the Lord, am with you and will stand by you, and you will bear record of me, even Jesus Christ, that I am the Son of the living God, that I was, that I am, and that I am to come. And here is what I love about that so much. I mean, you can just read it and it just sounds like uh, something that would be his bio, right? right. His description, yeah. <laughs> his whatever. But when you're looking at it in this season with this stewardship, I love that he says this, when you come up against your enemy or your distraction or the thing that's so hard or you feel like you're not going to be up to the task, it's almost as if he says this, listen, listen, just be of good cheer. Don't be worried about this because I, the Lord, am with you. I'm going to stand by you in this season, in this moment right here. Even Jesus Christ, and you will bear record. And then I love this, that I was there at the beginning. That I am in this stewardship with you right now, and I will be here still tomorrow until you are done with, with this errand. And then on the next errand, there again, right? I'll just be right with you in this thought in verse 70, section 70, verse 18. Behold, I, the Lord, am merciful and will bless them and they shall enter into the joy of these things. And I just love that thought of yeah. just these things, whatever your thing is right now, there's going to be joy that comes from that errand. And it might not be while you're in the errand, everybody, but at some point you will look back and, and you will see he was there. And I think that's probably where the joy will come. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.